Um, today's reading is in Ephesians at, in chapter 5, starting at verse 3, um, reading until verse 20, which can be found on page 1176 of the Church Bibles. So that's uh, Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 3. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God wrath comes on to those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Thanks, Amy. Keep open page 1176. I wonder what the Lord wants to say to us this morning. Let's pray so that we don't miss it. Father, we pray in the, along the lines that uh, we've been learning in Ephesians 3, uh, that the Spirit would strengthen us uh, this morning, that Christ would be more and more comfortable in our lives, and so that you, Father, would fill us to overflowing for the sake of this dark world. Amen. Either the world will influence you or you will influence the world. There's no actual real debate about that. One or other will happen. There will be influence. Now, the word influence comes from two words, to flow and into. Ideas, values, morals, ways of living will flow in one direction or the other, from you into others, or from others into you. 
a Christian is, by definition, verse 3, one of God's holy people. Our great and gracious God has set us apart from the world, but he's also set us apart for the world. And he calls us not to be influenced by the world's values, but to be an influencer of the world. So if you're a Christian, do you know the direction of flow in your life at the moment? Are you aware whether the world is influencing you as a corrupting darkness or whether your light is shining and influencing this dark world? If you're unsure about the answer to that question, the direction of flow, or to its extent, then this passage is going to help. And if you're here and you're considering Christ, you're not a Christian, and you say, I am a woman, I am a man of the world, and I don't like the idea of somebody um, trying to influence me, that's just what I'm trying to avoid, well, stay tuned, because what God wants to say uh, to you this morning might just make you rethink. Being an influencer for Christ rather than being influenced by the world is not easy. As a matter of fact, it is perhaps the most difficult task that we have in this world as Christians. How to be in the world as an influencer rather than being of the world and influenced by the world. That's the challenge, and it's not an easy one, which is why God has given us the Apostle Paul's teaching here in verses 3 to 20 of chapter 5. Our Lord Lord wants us to know three things from this passage. First, that we are not to partner with the world. Second, that we are to shine light on the world. And third, how to do it, how to walk wisely through the world. So first then, don't partner with the world. That we can't escape this world, I hope, is a given. We cannot go into the Christian bunker, batten down the hatches, and live in the Christian bubble. The monastic approach is not a Christian alternative lifestyle. People have tried to do that, of course, through history, but what they've always discovered is they've withdrawn from the world. They've realized that they've taken the world with them in their own hearts. You can't do it, you see. God's holy people are to be in the world, but not of the world. Just as a boat is in water, but not of water. Now, this is expressed by Paul in verse 7. If you look down there, therefore, he says, do not be partners with them, that is, with the world. This isn't a ban on business relationships with uh, unbelievers. The meaning here is that we should not shake hands with the world and be influenced by its values, ideas, morals, and lifestyle. And in particular, here's what we're to avoid, verse 3, immorality, impurity, and greed. Now, the word greed is covetousness, and in context, although it might be referring to to money here, it's probably talking about sexually coveting another person's body in context. 
And not only are we to avoid that kind of lifestyle, but also the kind of lewd language that's associated with it. Verse 4, obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking. What we have in these um, verses here is really a, a real rat's nest. The word for sexual immorality is porneia, from which we get our word pornography, but it's not um, con- constricted or restricted to that. The word pornea is kind of like a, a junk drawer for everything illicit of a sexual nature. That is, and unfortunately we do need to be clear about what we're talking about nowadays, everything of a sexual nature outside of an exclusive marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Of course, the world has no problem with lots of other alternatives. Anything goes. But God's holy people do have a problem with that because we are not of the world. What's your language? What's your living, says Paul? Don't scroll things that cause you to lust or covet. Don't share coarse messages or jokes, or images. Don't swear, only laugh at what is wholesome. There must not be even a hint of these things amongst God's holy people. For those of you who uh, are in, in the workplace by the week, let me ask how many conversations of a sexual nature you encounter each week. I wonder if it will be five, ten, twenty. Some people will say, well, maybe I, have, I come across twenty of those per day. Certainly not none, anyway. So what are we to do when we come across these things? How are we, how are we supposed to combat it? Well, Paul has a strategy for us, and it is a strategy of replacement. He wants us to replace those kind of conversations with thanksgiving. So try it next time uh, you're in a situation, whether it's work or not, and, and uh, p- people are having these um, base conversations. Why not try to divert the conversation from a sexual nature, turn it to a conversation about thanksgiving? Now, if you've got no clue about how you might go about doing that, well, maybe after, afterwards as we share coffee together, we could talk about how we might Um, do that. Now, there's at least two reasons why there shouldn't be even a hint of sexual immorality in our lives or on our lips. First is this, such sins are improper, offside, and out of place for God's holy people. This is a matter of identity. Paul is saying, be who you have become, one of God's holy people. That's the first reason. The second is this. Such sins are characteristic, verse 5, of those who are outside the kingdom, and verse 6, who are under God's wrath. Because of such things, God's wrath comes. Now, the the commentators notice the present tense, tense here, God's wrath comes, and they sort of argue about whether that, that means that God's wrath is currently on unbelievers at the moment, or whether it means that 
God's wrath hangs over unbelievers like a, a dark storm cloud ready, ready to break uh, upon their heads. It's probably both. I mean, do we not see God's wrath today when we look at the shocking um, sexually transmitted disease statistics or broken families or damaged children or rapes or abortions? Because people disobey God, our society is in desperate darkness. And those who continue to disobey, when Jesus Christ returns, things are going to get a lot worse. Now, just a brief sidebar here. These verses are not not meant to panic Christian believers. These warnings deal with those who are involved in habitual, unrepentant, willful, and not occasional sin. Remember, King David committed adultery and murder. Peter denied Jesus. Paul blasphemed Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgave them all and took them to heaven. No Christian is sinless. A Christian, as Warren Wiersbe says, is not sinless, but does sin less and less and less. So unless pornea is your kind of settled, willful lifestyle, please don't panic when you read these verses. We have all sinned many ways especially in this area. And if we've done that as Christians, we feel that most acutely because we know that when we sin, we don't sin only against law, we sin against love. We know from, well, for the first couple of verses of this chapter that we are dearly loved children. We know that God in Christ has loved us and given himself up for us. We know that we have an inheritance in the kingdom of God and in the kingdom of Christ. We know that the things in verses 3, 4 and 5 are improper for us because we know that we are God's holy children. Now, of course, we frequently come across people who... Look at those things in verses 3 and 4, and they say, well, they're not such a big deal. God loves everyone, of course. All sex is fine as long as people don't get hurt and as long as as there's consent. I remember just this kind of attitude expressed very clearly to the teenagers when I was in an RE lesson uh, a few years ago. But what does God say in verse 7? Let no one deceive you. Empty words. God's wrath. Do not partner with them. Sadly, the church, by trying to be relevant, can shake hands with the world. But God's plan is for the flow to move in the opposite direction, or to use the dominant metaphor of verses 8 to 14, God's plan is not that the world's darkness would corrupt the church, but secondly, that God's church 
would shine its light on the world. When our Lord Jesus Christ came into this world, he made an astonishing claim. He said, I am the light of the world. The light came into the world and got up close and personal with sinners. And as he did, as people encountered his light, men and women came face to face with all of his blinding goodness and righteousness and heard his truth and were exposed and convicted by it. You know what this is like, I think. We've all had that experience. You've been doing something wrong. And someone comes alongside and starts doing it right. Just like when you paint a wall brilliant white, everything else alongside it looks dirty. When our Lord Jesus Christ, in his brilliant purity, walked among the people of this world, we were exposed and convicted of what we're really like. And how do people respond when that happens? In one of two ways. Like bugs uncovered, we run back for the darkness. So many whom Jesus met were like that. So Jesus shone his light on the the rich young ruler. And he exposed his idolatrous love for money. And we read that he went away sad. Or Jesus exposed the Pharisees who also love money. And so they try to kill him. But not everyone responds in that negative way. We read of the Samaritan woman who did not run from the light. So when Jesus exposed her sinful relationships, she didn't run for cover. She came into the light. And in fact, we read in John 4, she became a light to others so that many of her fellow Samaritans believed Well, the light of the world says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14. And here in verse 8, Paul says the same. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So now that we're united to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, we are Light, children of light, and we are meant to shine into this dark world. Verse 9, we are meant to display his goodness and righteousness and speak truth. So through our ways and words, God calls us to expose the world's darkness. Now, let's not be naive. This is going to come with quite a few risks. But they are risks that we are obliged to take. When the world is exposed, some people will scurry away, perhaps uh, being hostile as well. But others will come into the light and they will hear and respond positively to the gospel message 
the message that's preached to them. I think that's what verse 14 is showing us. Here's the message. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Now, if you're thinking at this point that that rarely happens, well, Paul won't allow us to have such a defeatist attitude about it all. He's reminded us, after all, in verse 8, you were once darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. When I became a Christian, one of the the big um, factors in that was a Christian friend who came alongside, who, who lived in a Christian way, and it basically exposed me. And it showed me my need and pointed me to Christ. I'm forever grateful for that. And I strongly suspect that there are many here who have a similar testimony. God knows what he's doing. And God will use us if we don't hide but shine our light into this world. The strategy is very clear. We're not to be of the world, partners with the world. We're to be in the world and shine our light on it. But the question is, how on earth do we do it? Being an influencer rather than influenced. Probably the most difficult task that we face. How do we do it? How can we do it effectively? Well, lastly, Paul says we need to walk wisely through the world. If we're going to be a light and not let the darkness corrupt us, if we're going to be an influencer rather than influenced, if the flow is going to be from us to the world rather than vice versa, there is a need for careful and insightful living. It's a tightrope that we need to walk, verse 15, very carefully and wisely. Now, careful living looks like verse 16, making the most of every opportunity. Now, that's often translated as redeeming the time, redeeming the time. That's what Paul, uh, it really, that better reflects his meaning. So, with what can we redeem time? Well, by giving up, wasting, or frittering away time. And scrolling, surfing, and channel flicking are likely candidates for most of us here, I guess. Now, I came across a a Brazilian sculptor this week called Nel Azevedo. Please correct me afterwards on my pronunciation. And uh, she is famous for her sculptures of the the melting men that you can see there on on the screen. She travels all over the world, and uh, she has these um, sculptures of these men. They're about 20 centimetres high. She puts them on on the steps of monuments in uh, great cities. And uh, in about half an hour, they've all melted. And the melting bodies highlight, of course, our mortal condition. I can think of three reasons why we must redeem the time. And the first is that our time is short And opportunities to shine Christ's light are precious and fleeting. Second, here's Paul's reason, because the days are evil. 
The evil one is at work, corrupting and seeking to extinguish the light of Christ. And third, doing the Lord's will means that we will hear him say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Three great incentives to redeem the time. Where do we find the strength to do it, though? Well, I think that's what verses 18 and following are showing us. The way we find the strength to redeem the time is through God's Spirit, being filled by the Spirit. Being filled by the Spirit means being controlled by the Spirit, being under the influence of the Spirit. And did you notice the contrast here? The contrast is being filled with wine. So if our small group consists of Johnny Walker, Jim Beam and Jack Daniels, then we won't walk in wisdom. Instead, we will stagger through this world, squandering every opportunity that the Lord gives us. Being filled with the Spirit happens as we are church together, whether that's on a Sunday in our small groups or meeting one-to-one. Most of us know that feeling if we've been driving along and we suddenly think, I don't remember the last few minutes. Um, I, I I just can't remember anything because you're so sleepy. Now, if I'm on my own and that happens, I tend to sort of turn the uh, radio up loud and and sing along, or maybe sort of slap myself in in the face to try and keep awake. And eventually, after I've hit some of the bumps along the side of the road, I'll pull over uh, and get a Red Bull. However, if the family are in the car and I start getting tired, well, I might get prods from from the back seat or some Helpful advice from the passenger seat. You know, the kind of thing which says, is our aim um, to, to get home in record time or in one piece, Kevin? And we need reminders like that to be awake in the Christian life. And through the church, the Spirit prods and reminds us to walk carefully and wisely through the world. The prods come as we gather together and as we are speaking the word to one another, as we're doing now and afterwards. And as we find ourselves singing and making music from our hearts and thanking the Lord together, the Spirit is reminding us that though this Christian life is really difficult, And it really is. It's really worth it. That's what's going on. By being church together, the Spirit prods and reminds us to walk wisely through another day and another week. That's what's going on as we're meeting together. If we're serious about not partnering with the world, but shining brightly We need each other, I need you and you need me, because that's how the Spirit keeps us awake at the wheel. Speaking, singing, thanking, all those things stop us veering off the road. Let's tie it all together. Are we those who are influenced by the world?
Are we those who are influencing the world? Some here know they are involved and tempted by stuff which is frankly improper for God's holy people. Your light is barely flickering. And I want to say to you, keep battling. Don't be deceived by the voices that say pornair is harmless. We know the destiny of those who say those things. Remember who you are. Where you can, take practical steps, even radical steps, to help you to cut off the corrupting flow. Ask a fellow Christian for help if you need. Some here know that they've been hiding their light, that they're not really in the world. And we need to think about how we can have more contact uh, with the world through the community outreach project. There's something we're going to do in the summer, a couple of weeks, to help us in this. More of that later. Others of us are inclined to beat ourselves up and we would say that we are a poor excuse for a Christian when actually we're not, not really. If you're in that category, why not ask a spouse or a Christian friend how you're doing? You may be pleasantly surprised. You may find that the Spirit is filling you more and more even though you can't see it. And though the world is surely watching you and the world sees your sins and the world may even mock your missteps, overall, here's what they notice. Difference. Distinctiveness. And the fact that their own darkness is being exposed. You're influencing them more than they are influencing you, in other words. The Christian life is a challenging calling. Walking through this world on this tightrope requires care and wisdom. But through the Spirit, it is possible to avoid shaking hands with the world. And it is possible to shine brightly in the world. God's vision for this church is like one of those light density maps. You know the ones I mean? Picture of the world and there's there's those areas, usually cities, where there's a, a concentrated area of light. And then you look elsewhere and there's great swathes of darkness, but you notice there's a little light here and a light there. When we meet on a Sunday, God wants us together to be one big burning light together. But as we go out from this place, whether that's into Banstead or to Sutton or to Rygate or to Canary Wharf, God wants us to be those scattered lights wherever we go. Together or apart, walking wisely, shining brightly, and influencing the darkness. For you were once darkness, says Paul, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Father, thank you for rescuing us from the darkness. Help us to remember that we are your holy children, children of light, And help us to walk carefully, filled with your spirit, so that we might bring your light to others. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.